Hey there, Angel Donovan with another episode of Dating Skills Podcast. Today we've got a double topic. Guys always think that money is a big deal to women. Being rich will solve all of your girl problems, right? It will get you the quality girl you're looking for. But not being rich is basically an excuse of many, many guys and it could potentially be yours. So what we're looking at today is the world of high net worth individuals. What's a high net worth individual? It's someone who has over $1 million on the side that he can invest in financial assets or whatever. So beyond their living expenses, everything like that, they have a $1 million budget on the side. So we can pretty much say that's rich, right? We're also going to be look at matchmaking, which is another tool for meeting women. We've looked at things like cold approach. We meet girls in bars and clubs or during the day in coffee shops, absolutely anywhere. We've also looked at warm approaches, which is like social circles, building a social circle and meeting women that way. And we've also looked at online dating. We have not looked at matchmaking, which is of course where a service matches you with a person they feel is ideal for you. So it's not like online dating, which is kind of like the self-serve matchmaking, if you like. It's someone actually working to help you and match you with the ideal person with their database and even like searching for people at times. So we're going to learn about this and maybe you'll figure that that's a relevant tool that you could use and it will fit with you. Let's see. So today we have Amy Anderson as the guest. She's the head of Lynx Dating. It's a company she founded 12 years ago, which match makes eligible and high net worth individuals in Silicon Valley. So obviously there's a lot of money in Silicon Valley and that's why she's focused on this area. So she's got 12 years of experience helping rich men meet the women of their dreams or the women they're really looking for for serious relationships. So she's got very, very specific experience, which is why I asked her to come on the show to talk about these two topics. Matchmaking, she's arguably got one of the top end matchmaking services that she runs. And she also has a lot of experience helping guys specifically who are rich and with their challenges. So let's see if their challenges are like yours and that really there isn't much difference between the challenges between a rich guy and your average Joe with an average income. As usual, to get the show notes, to get the MP3 download and the interview transcript, you can go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash podcast and pick the episode out there. You've got everything there. If you want to get everything in your inbox every time we put out an episode to automatically get it, go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash newsletter, pop your email in there and you'll receive all the updates with the show notes, links and everything else. Now let's get into this interview. I'm Angel Donovan and this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex and relationships. To become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned. Chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in and change your life for the better, step by step, episode by episode. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me be here. It's great to talk with you today. Yeah, absolutely. This is our first time looking at high net worth dating. <laughs> um, so it's really great. And you're in the perfect place to be doing that. You're in Silicon Valley, right? I am. So I established my business in 2003 in Silicon Valley, and I've been going on strong since. So it's a really unique niche market to be in for sure. Great, great. So before we get into that, I'd love to get a, like just a bit of sense for you and where you're at in your life. How old are you? You live in Silicon Valley. 
Valley. How long have you been there? Have you always been based in Silicon Valley? Well, I'm born and raised in San Francisco, California, and um, grew up in the Bay Area, lived in Texas for a little while, um, went to school down in Los Angeles, and then ultimately made the move back up to Northern California. So I've been here since. Um, I was initially living in Silicon Valley in 2000 timeframe, and that's really where I came up with the idea for links after pure observation um, in the in the economy here in the market and kind of the social landscape and was just socializing with a lot of geeky guys and I was really perplexed by the fact that these great guys couldn't find any girls. So I looked up to San Francisco where I'm from and a lot of my friends are there. And, you know, a lot of my girlfriends up in San Francisco were really legitimately struggling trying to uh, trying to find a match. So that was kind of the genesis of my idea back then. And then I ended up moving back to San Francisco to kind of observe the social dating landscape there and really kind of understand it even more and ultimately move back to Silicon Valley in 2005. I've been here since. For a while in San Francisco, I was single and dating and trying to understand the entire entire thing and really struggling. Um, like my clients were really trying to figure out where are the commitment minded guys? Are there any question mark? Um, so really kind of in the thick of it and trying a lot of different back then when I was single, I was doing a lot of online dating and it was a bit pre kind of early for any apps, um, vis-a-vis, you know, Tinder, Hinge, or anything like that. So those weren't available back then, but I was definitely doing online dating and just it just really not successful from that experience. So I ended up moving back to Palo Alto, California in, uh, in 2005, and I've been here since and loving it. So, and uh, you asked age, I'm in my 30s. We'll just say that. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so are you married yet or are you in a relationship? Yeah, I'm married. So I ended up finding my match in 2006. And then we ended up getting married in 2008. And I just had my first child in December of last year. So oh, congratulations. Thank you. Very great to hear. Have you seen the dating environment change over time? Because you've been working now like 12 years on this. Has it, has it changed a lot over time in this specific area? I think it's changed with respect to the sheer number of choices out there for dating, such as with online dating, just so many different websites to jump on and to be part of and participate in. And then certainly the rise of all the dating apps, it's definitely created a kind of frenetic, just kind of crazy energy that leaves people incredibly distracted and constantly wanting more and more and more. So it's really challenging for me actually when I start working with a new client who has come out of that kind of they're transitioning from the online and doing dating apps into something very different um, being the world of offline matchmaking to get them to slow down. So people, especially in different uh, metropolitan areas of certainly San Francisco are just more and more and more. There's that intensity fueling them with respect to their career and then also matters of the heart, you know, in their personal life. And it's just really hard for them to focus. So I have seen a shift in the dating scene because of this. And I think it's very challenging for people. Mm. For matchmaking, just to explain quickly to everyone how that works. Basically, it's the exact opposite of Tinder, right? <laughs> I mean, you can't get more extreme. The antithesis. It really actually is. If you want me to tell you a little bit about how the matchmaking works and how it's different from, let's say, Tinder... 
So this is an offline business. So we do have a website um, for informational purposes only. Um, people, you know, clients are not able to peruse through different client profiles or anything like that. So it's not not Match.com, not eHarmony or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's private, you were saying. Exactly. It's completely private. It's offline. We're referral-based. So one of the biggest kind of mantras for links is that we don't advertise. So it's really, in some respects, underground, word of mouth. We get our business from uh, former clients, current clients, maybe people who've heard of the network. Um, I like to call this a dating and social network because that's really what it is versus a uh, Kind of service per se. So we start with one of the initial points when I get somebody's inquiry about joining links is sending them out some pre-screening questions. And, and during that time, what I'm trying to really understand is a bit about their background. And that's also always a very interesting, shall we say, litmus test where if somebody doesn't want to complete those questions, because maybe they want to ask me a ton of questions. And that's not how we go about doing this. So that's always kind of, you could say, maybe a red flag for me if somebody just refuses to tell me about themselves in the beginning stages like that. So to give people an idea, how many questions is this a few pages of A4? Or how much in-depth information are you getting there? Yeah, in the early stages, um, way before there are client, you know, when they're purely that prospect, there's about 15 questions. I'm asking date of birth, education, what they do for a living, hobbies, how they how they spend their free time outside of work. I really want to work with passionate, dynamic, interesting people. Um, I also want to work with people who are leading a relatively active and healthy lifestyle. We don't work with smokers. I think California living, generally people are not smokers. And so they really seek a healthy healthy match for marriage. And then on the marriage topic, one of my questions is, are you commitment-minded? Would you consider yourself marriage-minded? So when somebody writes me back and they say, well, how do you define commitment? I'm like, oh, yeah, mm, not really sure if that, that's going to be a good client. It's, it's an honest person, and I appreciate that, but I'm really looking for men and women who are legitimately ready for that next transition in their life, being monogamy, entering into that great relationship, and then getting engaged and married and planning for for their lives together. Right. So would you say it's really a service for people who are, have getting married, they've decided this is the time that they want to get serious and, and get married, they're looking for a partner they want to get married to? Definitely, definitely. This is a service for people who are really ready just for that next stage in their life. I really would want to see somebody having dated a lot and had a ton of fun in doing that and having lots of casual encounters and in a few serious relationships and maybe even being previously married. I work with a lot of divorcees. So those are all important things. Like sometimes also part of the screening process is I'm getting to know somebody, finding out maybe they've never been in a relationship. And that can be challenging, especially because sometimes that person doesn't even know what they're looking for. So that can be part of the process and really trying to see if this is somebody that I could legitimately represent if they're matchable. Mm. So what are the demographics of the people I'm imagining like they're in their 30s or uh, you tell me, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Yeah, sure. So I represent all ages. I see probably the biggest concentration for men and women in their 30s and 40s approaching me. Again, often I'd say for women, it's pretty binary. She has either dated in high volume and always gone for the perfect on paper guy. So she's gone for the six foot plus guy, chiseled abs, you know, 500,000 
$100,000 plus salary annually. Once a family guy, um, gregarious, just this perfect on paper guy and, and typically dated him a, sometimes maybe a, a couple of different relationships with that sort of type um, and realized that he's just not ready for commitment and gotten emotionally burned and completely like taxed from that whole experience or to the complete opposite. I find with the demographic, she just hasn't dated that much because she's been, especially here in Silicon Valley, these women are so career focused and it's just like myopic tunnel vision, work, 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 and, and very little time for anything else. So that's kind of the demographic for women. The demographic for guys, I would say in terms of age, like late thirties, early forties, definitely been very career focused has a great group of guy friends and has a few relationships, but just has not found the right one. And he's really ready. And I think surprisingly, a lot of the guys tell me just how burnt out and frustrated they get from the dating scene in San Francisco and Silicon Valley. Certainly for a lot of the Silicon Valley based guys that I'm working with, they don't have the social resources to meet women in San Francisco. So that's my market. What does that mean? Because, you know, I want to understand like these high net worth men, what kinds of challenges do they have? So they don't have the social because when we think of successful people, we think they're social, they have good social contacts and stuff. So what do you mean when they don't have the social resources to meet the women they're looking for? Well, again, with kind of the demographic for these guys, let's say we're talking about a high net worth guy in the Bay Area, specifically in Silicon Valley, that can be quite binary too. Uh, There's one type of guy I'm working with who is your classic geeky Silicon Valley guy. He definitely doesn't have the social resources or the wherewithal to kind of penetrate the market in San Francisco and understand how can I find the right match? You know, he either is too introverted and really shy and so he just wouldn't even think to go up to San Francisco to meet women. It's just not in his nature. Or maybe he's not as introverted, but doesn't have the right kind of connections um, in social networks to meet great women who would be interesting to him. So there's that kind of guy that I'm working with who's high net worth, but then there's also the guy who's much more affable and, and polished. And in that case, that type of guy, the more affable, polished, high net worth, Silicon Valley type, typically is just working too much. And so it's really a product of too much work. And so also because he tends to be high profile with respect to career, he's not going to date his colleagues. And so you have that combined with not wanting to do online dating due to privacy reasons. And then uh, really, I mean, limited hours in the day and not going out to kind of bars to find women. In that case, that would be kind of a lack of social resources. I don't know if you do surveys of the needs and like what the guys want from you and how you can serve them better, but is time a big concern for them? So it's basically like, I don't have time to deal with this. This is really important to me and I want it to get done. I'm just thinking I'm an entrepreneur too, so I can, I want it to happen. I want it to get done, but I'm like really occupied with all these other projects and I want to pay someone who I can trust to get the job done for me. It's so true. Absolutely. Time is a critical factor where they just don't want to have to go through a lot of the kind of nitty gritty, do the dirty work. Like even a lot of these guys are outsourcing, um, having people help with their online profiles, kind of sift through the different profiles because it's a time sink. And so they're smart with their time management. And this is all about resourcing and outsourcing. I find that kind of a general consensus is that 
majority of these guys who are very successful professionally want the same results that they've had in their career yet in their personal life. And now it's a matter of how do I go about doing that? So outsourcing, outsourcing your love life has become very in vogue, I think. Mm, excellent. Excellent. If we go back to the process, I get you, you're screening people basically, right? So you had the questionnaires and what's the next step? So beyond the questionnaire, then I'm getting that into my inbox and reviewing the information. And then if I feel that there's some synergies potentially there, I would suggest an in-person meet and greet. And this is again in the really preliminary stages. And it's a time for that prospect to get to know me, have his questions answered, and then to really get into the science behind potential matchmaking. And what I mean by that is going through a lot of the metrics that he looks for in a in a match. So in person, um, really discussing, you know, everything from his ideal matches, age, um, physical appearance being a really important factor, being how visual you guys are, certainly her personality, what she might do for a living goals, deal breakers, all these important things. So what I'm doing there is really understanding his type. And then for me behind the scenes, what I'm doing is starting to build an archetype of his dream girl. And that's how ultimately I'm basing a lot of the matchmaking off of is I have this archetype for his, for his woman. And then I'm trying to think, you know, as I'm getting to know him in person, is he matchable? Is he trustworthy? A lot of people can put on a very good show and a very good face like during a so-called interview with a matchmaker. But I've got to know that when I send him out there in the real world on these different introductions, he's going to be a good ambassador of my company. He's going to make links look good and, and certainly be a gentleman. And also, you know, I'm really, really wanting to make sure that he likes the idea of our protocol. And what I mean by that is when I put two people together, the general protocol is actually a little old fashioned where he calls her and he asks her out and he takes her to dinner. So again, kind of this getting people away from the online stuff of just these quick 20 minute coffee dates or not even people have told me they have a glass of water and then they move on to the next person. And it's just an exhausting experience. I really want to make sure in the preliminary stages that these guys like the idea of doing something different, maybe a little more old world and where chivalry is present. And so if they question that, or if they say, you know, I just feel that I don't want to do the dinner date, um, then, then we might have some issues where maybe he's not the best fit. Great. So how long was that? Does that interview last typically? Is that 15 minutes or an hour? Yeah, the initial meet and greet is about 45 to 60 minutes. And then I tell him, I want you to go home and think about this. We're not rushing any decisions here. You know, email me if you have any follow-up questions, because I don't want this to be a rushed thing for him or for him to make a rash decision. I really want it to be the right decision for him and for links. So typically he'll think about things for maybe a few days, maybe up to a couple of weeks. And in some cases it takes a couple of months or half a year to ultimately come to terms with if he's going to do this or not, because it's an investment emotionally, financially, all of that good stuff. Once he's ready, then at that point, he has some homework. So this is uh, hopefully fun for clients. For some, um, they view it as maybe a little tedious, but it's really meant to be helpful. And this is, again, kind of the science behind how I match. 
So he would usually fill out an application and then I'd work on a bio of him with him. So the bio is ultimately a document that the different girls will read about him when a match is made. It's a completely custom rendition of who he is because we actually don't share last names when a match is made. We don't share photos either. Uh Yeah. So again, kind of old world that way. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) So you're building out this bio and I guess you, on the other side, you do that for the girls as well. That's correct. Exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So this is like, I guess it's a more in depth. It's similar to the profiles we see online just for, so people can visualize, but it's more in depth or. It is really much more in depth because I'm personally sitting down with each and every prospect and client. Um, That new client that is coming back for another meeting with me. So beyond that initial meet and greet, then that's their new client meeting, their interview, which is a really exciting, very cathartic time for them because we're talking about kind of this ideal match. We are talking about their past relationships. We are really projecting forward, face forward, thinking about the present and the future, who they're looking for. So it's a really exciting time. And that second meeting is about an hour And then they sign some paperwork to become a client. That's kind of the legal, the business part behind all of this. And then things are official and the matchmaking can begin at that point. Okay. So the buyer is done at that point. It takes an hour roughly to Mm -hmm. get that stuff out there. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Great. So once they're in, what happens now? Are you the one who matches them based, like you said, you took kind of the physical preferences for the guys, for example. So because they haven't seen it, you're saying they don't have the photos or do people browse your privately the the database somehow? How does it work? They don't browse anything, but what they do actually, an option that is really popular, um, number one, they supply me with photos of exes. So I want to see photos of your ex-girlfriends or women that you've dated. So I can really understand kind of your type, just purely physically speaking. Then they can also give me photos of women they find really attractive, not celebrities though. So I don't want any um, Selma Hayek's, Uma Thurman's, anything. It just don't even show me that because I'm not interested. I want like everyday women that are hot attractive to you. So a good proxy for that, it can be sometimes jumping on Facebook and finding some friends or friends of friends that are attractive and showing me. So I understand his physical type because one guy's definition of, let's say, you know, she's five, six to five, seven, brunette, green eyes, slender, and really cute with a yoga body can be so different from the next guy I talk to because beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So Getting those cues is really critical and it's fun for them. They're like, okay, this is this is fun homework, Amy. <laughs> so do you find guys know what they want? When you go through this exercise, do most of the guys know what they want? Or does it, how much work does it take to build this picture of what they're actually looking for? I think a lot of guys have an idea of what they're looking for. Certainly some do because they know themselves well and they know the type that they're attracted to. On the other hand, quite a few people are just so open that they're not really sure and they're really looking for kind of this guide to take them through the different criteria and make suggestions for them based on my expertise. So I'd say it's pretty binary that way. Hmm. When you say open-minded, I mean, are these people who potentially don't have as much experience? Because what I find is over time, the more experience you have, basically the more you tend to know what you like and what you dislike just because you've seen it before. Whereas when you're 21, you kind of really don't have a clue who, who fits with you and you're just learning about the world. 
Would you say that's that's kind of where that's coming from? Mm, definitely. I certainly think it's somebody who does not have as much dating experience and relationship experience, who definitely defers to me on what I would suggest that they would like. But it's really important because I really want to make sure that what I'm saying and suggesting as we're going through some of the metrics are criteria that they'll ultimately be interested in. So... Yeah, I think compared to your point, somebody who's had significant relationship and is a more experienced dater, um, typically knowing exactly what's going to work and not work. And a big thing too, people come to me because they often will have dated the same type all the time. And so it's really important for them to say, Amy, just break me of this cycle because I tend to always gravitate towards this type of girl and it just doesn't work. So they're willing to really explore other types um, with the hopes that there's um, something that really sticks. I guess something we didn't discuss is everyone who's coming to you, the clients, are they all from Silicon Valley? Like are the women all from Silicon Valley or sometimes is it a bit broader geography? Yeah, no, it's definitely significantly broader in geography. I mean, my market is really the San Francisco Bay Area in California, but there's a lot of women that submit their information to the database um, for consideration for different matches from all over the world. Um, So now the challenge can be that a lot of the men that I'm working with are based in the Bay Area. Um, That being said, there's certainly men that I represent that are internationally based. But going back to the women, I mean, these women typically know that they'll have to do the heavy lifting usually. And if she is based overseas or in a different city in the U.S., um, typically fly out to meet him for the first date. That's usually the consideration and sometimes the barrier for her, especially if money is a factor for her. Okay. So what happens next in a process? So in terms of the matchmaking, um, maybe how I put together the different matches, if that's um, if that's helpful. So we have the science behind this. So being all the metrics that a client would look for, but a big part of this for me is really matching science meets art. So my intuition, I mean, the fact that uh, I'm meeting every prospect and client is something so unique compared to doing online dating, you know, where you don't have that humanistic, personalized approach, the algorithm can can't figure out you know, how somebody's going to feel or intuit or what they're like in person, but I can. So that's what I'm doing. So as I start to develop different match ideas, I'm involving both my clients and really presenting ideas to them for a candidate that I have in mind. It's really up to both the male and the female client if they're interested in meeting each other. Um, this process is just a very diligent, thoughtful process. It's not rushed It's really about the quality of match versus the quantity. So I do one at a time because these matches are what I would call kind of a match on steroids. You know, they're like supercharged. So when both people go out, usually they hit it off. And so because of that, we want to do that one at a time so they can really get to know each other and see if there's some long-term merit there, which often there is. Great, great. So is there anything, like, I saw one of the news articles on you that sometimes you do work on the client's skills, if that's necessary. You've spoken a little bit about protocol in terms of going for the dinner date. Do you find you ever have to work on things before they get to the actual dinner date step? And or you advise them on some changes they're going to have to make before they start seeing the women, basically, for the dates? Yeah, I do. I think even the most seasoned daters among us can kind of use that refresher course um, to the ins and outs of dating. And it's really important to remember that um, these dates, these links dates are not like other dates these guys have in their life. So I really want them to 
to kind of prepare for this and to remember that the women are serious about the relationships um, and getting into that relationship like these guys are too. So I do do a lot of preparation and sometimes it can just be giving them some tips over email. You know, some of these different tips could be when he makes that initial call, call with a plan. So instead of kind of calling her and just chatting without any real goal of the call, women like that confident guy. So even if he prepares a little checklist on a piece of paper before that call, you know, call her up. And when he calls to schedule the date, have two or three restaurants in mind, as well as different days and times that works for him. That way he doesn't get caught up in kind of early planning mishaps and misfires. And she will like and appreciate that he's calling with a goal and and conviction. The other thing is I find You know, sometimes in restaurants, guys can maybe be a little clueless about the right wine to ask for, or maybe they're not um, sure about a certain entree. And it's fine to admit ignorance, even if they don't know where something is or what an ingredient is in a dish, you know, it's okay to ask. And actually the two of them, they can actually maybe learn something together and fake their way through eating and enjoy a date that way versus just kind of maybe all of a sudden being paralyzed because, you know, he's not sure about the right wine or whatever it might be. I think also it's really important sometimes at that date, I tell these guys the positioning, like where physically he's sitting. So I really like the idea if people are at a table of four to move closer to each other. So be sure to share a corner rather than to sit across from one another because that way what's interesting is not only kind of physically speaking you're in um, much closer contact to each other which can lead to a flirtier kind of environment certainly more conducive to see if that spark happens but also it gives you kind of a shared room of or shared view of the room so you can kind of look out at the other patrons dining and kind of have uh, have something to talk about too just kind of a a shared experience which is really important A big thing that people can get really caught up on, and this is something we talk a lot about, is their past relationships. So I think in the early stages of dating, it's really important to, especially if you're newly single or you're divorced, to always kind of face forward. So to talk to your date about things that you want to do in your future, giving your date a sense of how she might fit into your life moving forward versus you know, dwelling on the past or your ugly divorce or your breakup or or whatever kind of negative frame of mind you might be in, you got to project face forward. That's really critical because then it gives her a sense of, okay, hmm, I can see myself fitting into his life this way. Yeah. Or maybe I can't see myself fitting into his life this way. And so it's a mismatch. At least both people can move on. That's definitely a big one. Similar thing I tell guys to do is really stay out of quicksand. You know, I think we all have topics that we want to avoid in the first date conversation, literally all of us. And instead of completely sometimes deflecting them and sounding evasive or, I don't know, maybe sharing too much information and allowing the date conversation to take that really difficult turn, to develop a quick soundbite to address the topic and then move on. For example, perhaps somebody's dealing with maybe a difficult custody situation with his ex-wife. And he might simply say, you know, I actually spend as much time as I can with my kids currently. 
you know, we're still negotiating what makes the most sense for everybody, but I'm optimistic that this will have a happy ending. So something like that is like a really quick soundbite. It's clean, it's concise, it's conveying real factual information that's relevant um, versus airing the dirty laundry and how just um, acrimonious the situation is with his ex-wife and how nasty it is. Like, who wants to hear that, honestly? Right. That's a, a very basic thing that we often brought up in the past. You don't want to talk bad uh, negatively about anything in the past. But I'm wondering now, because they get quite a bit of information before the date in terms of these buyers that are shared. So in, it's kind of like a different situation because you're sitting down in front of someone and you actually already know a lot about them. How do you think that changes the dynamics? Well, I think what's nice, actually, I've done the sales job. So I've done the marketing about her to him and vice versa. So now that they have a sense of who that person is with respect to career and hobbies and background and where they grew up, they can just be and they can be present on the date and really genuinely focused on that person versus having to kind of worry about selling themselves, you know, where that anxiety is kind of fueling them like, oh my gosh, okay. So this is what I was doing before my current job. And, you know, kind of spewing out that resume, which is just such a turnoff because I've already done that. I've done the dirty work for them. So they don't have to worry about that. So with this notion in mind, I tell people to just be really present. Like I've done the work. You don't have to sell yourself. You can just be really focused on each other, get to know each other. Certainly um, be prepared though. Again, kind of going back to those preparation tips and ideas, um, be prepared with some areas to talk about that you are wildly passionate about outside of the scope of career. Cause I definitely don't want you talking about work and we do that all day long. Nobody wants to go on to a date and, and just talk about work, work, work. So to kind of prepare yourself with these different topics, what I call expert topics. So you can kind of be an expert in a particular field that she's going to find really intriguing and be like, wow, he's so knowledgeable about whatever it is. Could you give an example of that? What would be a Sure. It could be anything from some sort of sport down to um, maybe Frisbee. If he plays Frisbee on the weekends, great. We'll tell her about it. And maybe a history of like where the Frisbee was invented. I mean, women will find this intriguing. And he's also, it's showing that he has hobbies and he's well-rounded and he's exciting and he does a lot of different things and maybe he's a little quirky and maybe she's going to find that sexy about him. Um, Or it could be wine appreciation. It could be animals. It could travel's a big thing, a huge thing to talk about, or he's maybe an expert about a particular country because he's been to maybe whatever country X number of times and he's done some volunteer work there. Well, talk to her about it. I mean, that's fascinating. You know, sometimes people think that whoever they're out with is not going to be interested in them for these different interests that they have because they believe that maybe they're the only ones that find that kind of fascinating and nobody else will. That's totally untrue. So to be confident in yourself and and just rock it. It could literally be the most esoteric, random, expert topic ever. Woodworking, um, making boats, <laughs> bottling water, making beer. I mean, whatever it is, literally, just to kind of come up with something, a few things that you like to do. And if you don't like to do something, then find a hobby. Right, exactly. So I'm guessing you may struggle with some types. I want to talk a bit like the more challenging cases you've come across and why they struggle, because, you know, this is a show 
like trying to help men overcome the biggest challenges. And I guess you've seen some biggest challenges that guys have struggled, even in your structure, to make it work for them. First of all, like I just want to make clear, like the photos, they're not given before the date, right? It's not part of the bio. So so they're meeting for the first time visually. They don't. Yeah. Unless I will say not to confuse things, unless he's a VIP client. So a VIP client is kind of the top dog in links. He's the alpha client. And that type of guy, um, client of links has the option of getting photos. So with her permission, I would show photos just for his viewing to see if you know she's somebody that he'd be interested in potentially meeting. So that's the fun thing that one of the, the kind of the icing on the, the cake for being a VIP client is you do get the photos. So what's the difference between a VIP client and a standard client? Uh, the difference is between VIP and a standard client. VIP is basically somebody who says, I want you, Amy Anderson, wherever you go in your life to be constantly looking out for me for the perfect match, for that needle in a haystack match who might not be in your existing roster of female clients. So whether I'm in line at a coffee shop, if I'm at a networking event, if I'm at a dinner party, if I'm having a conversation over a casual lunch with a friend, I am constantly thinking about that guy and putting it out there in the ether that I'm representing this type. And if anybody that I know or that I encounter could be that perfect match. So it's really about exercising a lot of options and casting a super wide net. And in some cases, an international net. I have international VIP clients who live in multiple cities and, and don't want to just limit their search to women in the Bay Area. So it's being really strategic and smart about things. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's a much, that's more like a, a more personal service. So it's like a higher price point. Mm-hmm. It definitely is. They're also getting prep techniques. We're doing sometimes the date coaching. That can be a really big one to just prepare them for their different dates, um, wardrobe consultation. I serve as their romantic concierge. I'm doing all their reservations, booking, sometimes travel accommodations, making their experience completely effortless. So they don't have to think about anything. They literally show up to the date and hopefully have a fantastic time. And I've done all the logistics in between for them. Great. And that makes it easier to generate romance. What kind of price points are we talking about here for the normal service versus the VIP Yeah. So everything is completely customized, but for the normal service, what we're looking at kind of our standard membership would offer somebody eight introductions over the course of 24 months. And that's 25,000 us dollars for the VIP type of membership. Again, completely customized. We might narrow down the number of matches, but usually we'd be doing about 10 introductions over the two years prep techniques. I'm their romantic concierge. Um, often I'm orchestrating a cocktail party on their behalf and bringing in a room of beautiful women for them to meet and mingle with. So something like that usually is 50,000 US dollars. Okay, great. So you got some bespoke, or do you do a lot of those cocktail parties or is that kind of like once three times a year? Or Yeah, it depends on the client. Um, usually I would do that kind of one time for the client um, as a way for him to just meet and mingle with people, especially I work with a lot of people who are new to the Bay Area. So let's say for like somebody who's relocated and knows nobody, this can be all of a sudden kind of your ticket to meeting people and filling up your social calendar um, romantically, but also meeting some people professionally too. Through my larger events that I do that are called Lincoln Drinks, and these are great networking events. And so a lot of a lot of deal flow happens professionally from these events. So it can be very good for people too who've relocated here um, just to meet people. Yeah, excellent. Could you give us any ideas of what kind of stick rates? I don't know what, I don't know what you call it. But the people that have been set up together, 
how often is it that they have to go to like eight dates or because I can imagine that because there's been so much work put into trying to make them match that it tends to work more than say match.com or okcupid or or more than tinder for example right here's the thing often when people start this process they are ready they don't want to waste time it's like super super results oriented so usually that on the very first or second maybe third introduction then they're finding those results and they end up in a mini or more significant relationship yeah sorry do you think it's the mindset then that makes a big difference there I do. I think timing is everything. Timing is 100% everything. If that's another big thing in the prospect stage, like as I'm doing the meet and greet, if I sense that somebody's one foot into the process, one foot out because it's just not the right timing, then it's just not the right timing and we're not going to work together till it is the right timing. So, yeah, I do find that timing is kind of everything. So, when when they come in here, they're really ready, they're just done with dating and they just want to meet somebody great. So, usually they do enter into that relationship in the earlier stages. That being said, this can be a process for some people where they are still learning considerably about themselves, learning what works, what is chemistry? How do I feel chemistry? Am I feeling chemistry right now with her? I don't really know. So I have some clients where they've renewed their membership three times because we're still trying to figure things out. So that would be potentially six years Yeah, potentially six years. And that's okay. They get frustrated and I get frustrated for them because I want them to find that lasting connection, but it can take time. And sometimes they're just not necessarily in the right um, frame of mind, or they're just, you know, maybe they're distracted or they're wanting it sometimes many years in like that, they're wanting it so bad, then it becomes a forced situation. And when a woman senses that it's kind of a forced, like, let's just make this work situation, then that's not a natural setting. It's you can't force romance. That's a good point. I'm guessing for guys, like what age do you find that they're more in that situation? Because with women, they have the biological clock that often determines when it starts to become a bit more forced in the late 30s and so on. Do you find that men have something similar in terms of uh, a time window? I kind of do for some of my older clients. Some of the guys I'm working with who are in their 50s, they really get frustrated. And I have one, one client who emailed me this morning and he gave his feedback and he said, lovely first date, but not a romantic spark there. And I've set him up probably about 40 times, four zero. So yeah. And he just keeps doing the first date thing. It's really hard for him to get to date two. But I also think it can be a lot of his behavior on the date where he acts kind of like this old fogey. And these women are like, what the heck? Like this guy is my grandpa. Seriously. Seriously, Amy, nice guy and everything, but he's just acting kind of old. He has an older energy about him. So I think that's where he's getting tripped up. Um, So I guess sometimes the 50s, you know, where somebody who has come out of a divorce and they are the type who wants to be back in a relationship. The dating world can be incredibly overwhelming and daunting, especially if they had a long marriage, you know, maybe they've come out of a 15, 20, 30 year marriage. It's a different game. So that type of person definitely can really just have that kind of anxiety fueling them. Like, let's make this happen already. And that just doesn't necessarily work because whoever he's out with is going to be able to pick up on that anxiety driving him and just sense that it's not happening as it should be naturally. It's just, he's trying to kind of force romance and that relationship. 
Yeah, I can see that happening. Okay, so have we covered all the kind of the biggest challenges you come across with men or are there some kind of others that stand out as well that come up? There's kind of, you know, the patterns, the commonalities where some men are struggling more than others and going on more of these dates maybe versus one, two or three. Exactly. And I think everybody is completely different where some are very successful and they literally just have one date and then that's it. They end up marrying her. I'm going to a wedding in October where it's his very first and her first introduction. So that worked great. In others, it's definitely a process. It's a process where then they're coming into my office and we're chatting and I'm trying to get calibrated and really understand and get into their head and just figure out what is going on and maybe taking a pause. Sometimes this can be really overwhelming, especially if he was in a relationship through my introduction and then it did not end up netting in anything long-term. Maybe she was the one who wanted to break up. Sometimes it can just be very overwhelming emotionally in that case. And so I tell them, let's take some time off. Let's take a pause on this. Let's freeze your membership. And so that's something, a really nice option a lot of clients do, just to take some reflective time, just have some breathing time, take a step back, and then get back into the game when he feels re-energized and vibrant again, ready to meet somebody new. Great, great. Thank you for that. Okay, so I've heard about this philosophy you have, anti-BBD. What is that? (laughs) Okay, there's something that's very prominent in the Bay Area that is the BBD, the bigger, better deal. The grass is always greener. And I had no idea what the BBD was until I was on a date with a guy that I really had a huge crush on. And I was totally smitten and like staring at him and like, oh my gosh, like, could he be the one? Like, hopefully, um, amongst all these different guys I've had first dates with, um, really into this guy. And we're at a little wine bar restaurant place having a, I think it was maybe like our sixth date or something. So it was going pretty well. And all of a sudden he was looking over my shoulder and not even looking at me. And I said, do you see somebody here? And then I kind of turned around, like maybe he sees a friend, his neighbor, something like that. And he said, no, just the BBD. I said, the what a, what a, huh? He said, the bigger, better deal. I'm like, I'm sorry, you completely confused me. What are you talking about, the BBD? And he's like, you know, the BBD, like the the woman who could be a bit taller, prettier, skinnier, whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like I was in that moment completely mortified and horrified and just so sad that he was that honest with me, I guess, nor that that existed. I just, I couldn't believe it. So I am anti-bigger, better deal, but the thing is it happens all the time, especially in the Bay Area where there's just so many choices. I liken it to a kid in a candy store where it's like the kid goes in there and they are on already on a sugar high and they want M&Ms, then they want Tootsie Rolls, then they want a Milky Way bar and they just want more, more, more because they just can't make up their mind. And there's just so much variety and sometimes too much variety which confuses people. And so many people, a lot of my clients tell me just these terrible date stories that they go on. And usually they will have experienced a lot of that vis-a-vis online dating or just, you know, meeting people at parties or bars or whatnot and have that same experience that just really like bums them out. And so then they're like, I need a change in my life, Amy. And so then that's when they become my client because they know that we're working with individuals who are focused, they know what they want, and they're not pulling the BBD on their dates. Right, right. I'm guessing that's something that you screen out in your questionnaires and interviews pretty early. 
maybe it, it fits with something that I've seen over time is that the more experience men have, like the more the higher quantity and the variety of partners they've had in the past, I find that they tend to want to settle down less over time. I don't know if that's something that you've seen also. I don't know. I think that sometimes the guy who's dated a lot and had a lot of partners, at some point he gets kind of burned out of the game. He's just kind of ready. He's like, okay, I've had X number of partners and I've dated a ton. I've been kind of the the playboy and eventually kind of the playboy often I find at least around here, um, the playboy ends up getting married. Nobody can predict when this happens because he has to be ready. But it does happen. There's some girl that just completely captures his attention and he's smitten and he's over the moon and he's done. He's just like, okay, he's off the market. But there's that very uncertain opening in his life. That window is open and whoever's kind of in front of him who's captured his attention, you know, then that window closes very quickly. I find that because I have a lot of a lot of these great clients of mine, these guys who definitely, I mean, major catches who were dating a bunch and a lot of people questioned, is he ever going to settle down? And then they end up getting married because they're just, they get sick of it. They're like, okay, now in my mid forties, late forties, um, I, you know, I'm high net worth. I have basically everything I want in my life. I have the job, I have the cars, I have the vacation house and I've, shagged every hot girl there is, but I want something more. And often they have just gone for appearance when it's been very shallow up until that point. So they're looking for some more substance. Maybe he wants to be a dad and he's like, okay, yeah, a lot of my buddies are settling down. And all of a sudden, um, kind of the light goes off in his head and these things become really attractive. He's like, hmm, I kind of want this for this phase, this new chapter in my life, the sequel to my previous party days, like he's just ready for something different. So he doesn't want to be alone when he's in his 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, however long he's going to live for. Yeah, great. Thanks for that. It's good to hear a counterpoint. I'm glad to see some guys settling down. Some of the things I've seen also is like, even if I do settle down, I think sometimes the marriage doesn't work out. He has difficulties with being faithful. Those kind of situations, even when he's decided that it's time for the marriage. Just something I've kind of noticed over time. So have you come across any downsides to matchmaking versus other approaches or potentially situations, people it's not right? For? Of course, you've already talked about the specific people you try to screen out, but are there any other downsides that people should be aware of? They're like, oh man, this, this might be interesting for me. It might be a good fit for me. Are there any other things we haven't spoken about which you'd be like, well, maybe it's not right for you if? Yeah, maybe it's not right for you if all you do is work, work, work. I think somebody like I would probably screen somebody out um, to not work with somebody if that person's a complete workaholic and has no balance in their life because they just, I think they get very frustrated in working with links because this certainly is a service for people that are looking for that marriage in that next major life step being a relationship. So somebody might not want to work with links if they have to deal. Maybe they don't like working with people. I don't know. I mean, the fact that you work with a team of people and it's a very humanistic approach, you're dealing with people on the back end versus a computer. Maybe somebody who is just, they don't... Uh, I guess people have to be pretty open with you. Yeah. How much depth does the questioning go into? Because I think a lot of the things people put in online dating profiles can be relatively shallow. If I look at a lot of dating profiles, they're very shallow. 
Your process is something more like psychotherapy, right? You walk in and you're supposed to say like, you know, really, this is what's going on with me. Certainly somebody who is not comfortable being open because they're just incredibly guarded or private or just ashamed to open up about their past or you know what they're looking for or whatever it is, or the skeletons in their closet, um, whatever it is. Yeah. So that person might be just too fearful of the process. I mean, just really having to be open because at the end of the day, the more vulnerable and open my client is with me, the better I can do for him. If he's kind of hedging, guarding, if he's just too private and just not allowing me to peel back those layers, then I'm never going to get to know him. And I ultimately then can't figure out who he's going to click with. So when somebody just kind of kicks back on my couch, as I encourage them to do, and just have a conversation with me and know that this process is not like an interview, it's really a enjoyable, relaxing conversation. I'll pour him a glass of wine. He can just chill out and just talk to me about what he's looking for. And we can have a laugh about it and talk about the deal breakers. And he doesn't have to be worried about this, but it's not for everybody. So he has to make sure that he's comfortable opening up and he's willing to divulge things about his personal life. So, so we can best help him. Great. Great. Thank you. One of the concerns I was thinking some guys might have is that they'd be worried about gold diggers, basically, women who specifically are looking for money and it's not the romance and that that kind of thing. Is that a concern guys bring up with you? And has that situation come up before or are there specific ways you make sure that that kind of thing doesn't happen? Well, a lot of guys will be very concerned about that when they're dating on their own, because often a lot of, especially a lot of these um, techie guys who have just made a killing in their careers, you know, sometimes at a very young age and it's newfound wealth and it's all overwhelming and exciting and daunting. And they will often in social situations, you know, maybe they're um, going to the bar or to a club one night with a bunch of guys. And so they do bottle service and they have like, you know, great fancy bottles of vodka and champagne and all that and attract a certain group of women through that setting. And usually those types of women are not going to be the ones who are with him for the right reasons. So those ones are going to be the gold digger types who are kind of, wow, really attracted to the excess and the the spending and the lavishness. But because this is new for him and he's now feeling sexy about himself and wanted and desirous and desirable, he will do that for a while, maybe about a year or so, and then get pretty burnt out on that. And then come to me saying, I'm tending to attract these women. And I'm asking him, well, where are you finding those women? And he'll tell me and it all makes sense. And so he's really looking for a way to meet high caliber women who often are kind of like him, um, not always high net worth too, but somebody mm. who's going to have a really strong foundation, like a good background, somebody educated, somebody who has good values, and frankly, is just not going to be mesmerized by, in some cases, mm. the world that he lives in. Because for right. a lot of people, it's like, wow, you have a private plane. Oh my gosh. It takes all the romance out of it for these guys. So they definitely come to me saying, Amy, I am hiring you because of the vetting and because you can filter out the wrong type and really align values from the beginning for me and protect me. Like they want to be protected that way. And it makes sense because they do the same in business. They protect their time from people or everyone's always trying to get their attentions and so on. Well, Amy, thank you. It's really interesting to visit this matchmaking concept. We haven't done it before. And obviously you're, you're doing it in a very special situation, which makes it even more interesting. 
What are the best ways for people to connect with you and learn more about you and your work? Absolutely. So we have a website, um, www.linksdating.com, L-I-N-X-D-A-T-I-N-G.com, or send me an email, amy at linksdating.com, A-M-Y at L-I-N-X-D-A-T-I-N-G.com. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Is there anyone besides yourself which you would recommend for quality advice in dating sex relationships, maybe in different areas where links dating doesn't work or anyone you've come across in your travels, you know, 12 years? Yeah, no, oh. absolutely. There's a ton of different resources. If anybody's listening who has a specific type of situation or case, just email me and I can kind of best match you that way. Because there's a lot of different people that I talk to and work with in California, um, even other services. It, sometimes I refer people to other services where I feel that maybe they're not the right fit for links, but they could be good elsewhere. So I um, have to get to know that individual first, and then I could refer them for sure. Are there a lot of matchmaking services in the U.S. still? There's a ton of them and a lot of very niche focus. So it could be um, matchmaking for a particular religion, particular ethnicity, particular background, uh, certainly age demographic. That's a big one. So yeah, but nobody who's doing this Silicon Valley, Bay Area, techie and, and very entrepreneurial crowd. Cool. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so last question, we ask everyone this, this same question. What are your top three recommendations to guys who are starting from scratch and want to improve this part of their life as fast as possible? So I would say put it out there, announce to your circle of friends, to your colleagues that you are ready for change and really enlist a team like your own little army of guy friends to help you. And it could be female friends too, um, that you're really ready for that relationship where you're putting it out there, you're communicating, you're getting that off your chest. You're not afraid to admit that you need help and you're willing to take advice and ask your, your guy friends if they have anybody to set you up with or any ideas for meeting women. I would then jump online. If you have not been practicing dating in a while, get online because it's cheap. It's easy. In some cases, it's free. Um, and it's a great way to get out there and meet women and practice those skills that you've hopefully already been practicing a little bit. Um, to remember that dating is a skill and practice makes perfect. And then the next thing is definitely to um, make sure that kind of back to those ideas of expert topics, like if you find yourself working all the time um, and then, you know, after work, you're going home, you're playing computer games, you're reading a book, whatever it is to get out there and find some hobby that, um, that you're going to be really passionate about because ultimately that can be a way to hook the woman and to have her be really intrigued by all of a sudden this interesting life that you're leading. So to do something that you're finding fulfillment out of, I think will give yourself a lot of confidence, but also really intrigue this potential new woman in your life. Excellent. Those are some very grounded tips there uh, to take away for the guys. And uh, the first one we haven't come across before, telling your friends and your network, which makes sense. Just making it clear to them, I'm looking for someone and someone special or whatever. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for your time so much today. It's been really great talking to you. And yeah, it's been really great learning about your service and how it works. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I look forward to hopefully chatting with you in the future. Great. Take care. Okay. Take care. Have a great day. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait, do it today. That's all it takes to change your life, step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at datingskillsreview.com. How we help men like you take control 
their dating lives.